Thank you for listening to the Identity House Ministries podcast. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity. time of worship led by um, Cam and Ethan and Ashley and I just thank you so much for them um, for volunteering their time and their passion uh, for leading it was so beautiful and I love that no matter where we are that we can worship you in spirit and in truth no matter what we do and so I just thank you so much for this opportunity for Chelsea and I again to come together and to feel very unqualified to teach on the re- the letter of the Church of Philadelphia and Revelation in general, but we're doing it because we're qualified because we said yes. <laughs> so there we go, um, which is great. And we just love you so much. We praise you, we bless you, and we are excited to just share what we've learned because we have learned a lot, um, so so much. So through your Spirit, tell us what to share, tell us what to not share, and we're just gonna have a really good time. It's going to be great, and let everything be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great now. Thanks, babe. Technical difficulties averted. Do you hear feedback? Nope. Thanks, everybody, for your help and telling us (laughs) what to do. We're doing our best. Yep. Cool. All right, pulling up my notes now. Yay. Well, I guess that's me. I'm starting us out. So, again, welcome. We are uh, continuing our series again on the letters to the churches that you can find in Revelation. And um, for those of you who don't remember, we uh, the last teaching we did on this was Matt actually taught on the letter to the church of Sardis. So we're picking right up where we left off, and Chelsea and I are teaching on the letter to the church of Philadelphia, if you already didn't know. Now you know. So just a quick recap and review for kind of how we're going about this. Um, There are, when you read all of the letters, you'll actually find a few elements that are similar. And we are using these kind of as our outline. And so every teaching that we've done so far kind of follow this, this guideline. And there are seven elements of each letter that you will find. And They are, number one, the meaning of the name of the church. Normally, that directly is relevant to the content of the letter. So, like, every church has a meaning of its name, but then when you look up the meaning of the name, it relates to the message of the letter. It's really, really cool. Um, Just, again, words have power and meaning, and the church's names are no different. Um, Number two is Jesus's title uh, that he chooses to announce himself by when he's addressing the church. You'll see a very specific usage of his title. And again, that relates to the message that he is giving to the church. Um, Number three, commendations. This is what you're doing good. Keep it up. Number four, concerns. Not so much keep it up, but definitely saying this is not what we should be doing. Um, Exhortation, which is Exhortation is a fancy word for encouragement, um, which is calling up and out a lot of the time. And then there's a closing, 
that will happen um, that you'll see that says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And you'll see that in every single letter. And then finally, Jesus always ends with a promise to the overcomer, which is great. So it's kind of an if, then, and but situation. So if you do this, then this will happen. Um, so it's really cool. It's a promise. And um, you'll see all of those elements in every single letter. A fun exercise to do on your own time is to read all of the letters yourself and see if you can pick out these um, seven elements and then kind of compare. Because you'll see some churches have nothing good said about them. And you'll see some churches have nothing bad said about them. And that's pretty exciting. And then there's things that are discouraging. So next of all, one thing just to remember that Jesus is the author of all seven letters to the church, not John. John was the one who was given this prophetic vision, but Jesus is the author of them. So when we are reading these letters, you can pretty much know that it's Jesus talking to his church, his bride, his beloved. Um, and then another thing that's really, oops, all my notes, um, slipped down, but there's actually four levels of application that we can kind of look at each letter for. Um, that just means that what do you do with it? How do you assess it? Um, again, there's a current and local application. That's going to, that is primarily for the letter of the church in that day. So they were literally churches alive at the time, listening and hearing these letters. This applied to them right in that moment. Um, and then there's a personal application of what can we actually take from this, what is applicable to every believer for from now till forever. There's something that we can take from this. Um, then there's a church-wide application. So every church you've ever been to, ever will be to, or ever have seen has something of each of these churches. So it has characteristics. It's your job to discern what they are in each church and okay this is something really good this is something maybe not so good and just to be able to assess for yourself not through uh a what is the not through a negative connotation of like oh this church i hated let me just see all the things that they did wrong no 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 that's not what it is it's so that you can be berean it's so that you can be wise and understand okay this is what's not really lining up and this is what is lining up and then you move on. <laughs> like It's just so you know you have understanding. And then lastly, um, there is a prophetic application that you can take from this. Um, and this is something that some people believe and some people don't believe. This is, it's not a, uh, a, a infallible truth. Um, and the prophetic idea is that each of these letters and each of these churches represent a corresponding era of church history. Um, and that's, you know, events that happened for the last 2000 years. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, um, near the end of the teaching. But again, Chuck Missler believes that this is so, and that this is the way it's a prophetic timeline. Um, because there's there, if it was in any other order, it wouldn't work. But then there's other scholars who are like, eh, that's a little bit of a stretch. Figure out for yourself, which camp you think you believe in. But again, this is not going to be a salvation era thing. Like if you don't think it applies, no big deal. Um, it's just something to figure out for yourself. Okay. That being said, um, a lot of our research that Chelsea and I have done um, comes from David Pawson, who we highly, highly recommend. 
um, looking up and listening to his teachings on the letters to the churches. And then Chuck Missler, Dr. Chuck Missler. Again, two very, very smart scholars. Trust them a lot um, with what they do. But Chelsea and I both just really dove into their teachings, all available on YouTube for free, by the way. So if you want to learn more than what we can can go into tonight, look them up. It's available and it's free. (laughs) So the last letter of the church that we did was the letter to Sardis. And now we're moving on to the letter of the church of Philadelphia. Um, And so first of all, I'm just going to read the letter real quick, Chelsea, if that's okay. That's um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation 3 verses starting in verse 7. Um, So again, that's Revelation 3 starting in verse 7. I'm just going to go ahead and read and then we'll get right into it. Does that sound good? No one can answer me. Okay. (laughs) I can. That sounds great, Savannah. Thanks, Chelsea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And into the... Right. These things says he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly Hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. Him that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven from my God, and I will, rep- and I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the letter. Chelsea. It's so good. (laughs) One moment. Okay. All right. So we're going to start by getting into um, a little bit of the background. So what do we know about this church? Off the bat, we can, we already know it's small. It's a very, it was a very, very small church. Um, some believe that it was, I mean, struggling because there was inferiority conflicts. I mean, you have the church of Sardis up the street. That was huge. Um, if you don't know that, go back and do a little bit of research on the church of Sardis. It was so big, but it wasn't like alive. Actually, Jesus criticized them for being dead. So this little tiny church. Um, was just so small and so alive, but then down the road, you've got Sardis being dead. So they're probably looking at themselves saying, wow, look, a lot of people are coming over to this church in Sardis, and we're struggling to even, like, make an influence on our land. Philadelphia next to Sardis, I'm sure, would feel small. They were obviously having a great deal. They obviously were not having a great deal of influence on their city, 
Um, you know, they're not growing terribly fast, but Jesus has a letter for them. And he wants to say to that little church, not sternly, that you're okay. What a relief. I mean, the letter before then was just, you did this bad, you did this bad. Basically, you're not doing anything good. And then Jesus comes to them and says, I don't have that same letter for you guys. You're not in the same boat. So that, that would be encouraging to me. I'd be sitting there like, oh no, what's Jesus going to say to me? Okay, so let's get into location. Um, the location of the church at Philadelphia was on the border of three different counties, Lydia, Mysia, and Phrygia. I hope I pronounced those correctly. In the province of Asia. It's a key place being on the border with road and river junctions. Um, it was called the gateway to the east. So like in America, in St. Louis, we have a huge 630-foot parabola arch called the gateway to the west. So think of them as like the gateway to the east in that same analogy. Um, they were the furthest Greek colony into Asia, and they found this as a gateway to take Greek language and culture up to the main high plateau, which we now call Turkey. So they're starting to try to take Greek culture um, and language to this place. They, they thought Greek was like the superior of everything. Like everyone should yeah. be like them. So they were trying to spread it everywhere and get everyone to, you know, be them, <laughs> believe what we believe, take on our culture, take on our language, because obviously they're trying to build an empire. Um, initially, this was seen as a missionary town, but not to spread the gospel. They were trying to spread what, we, what I was just saying, the Greek culture and way of life, which is called Hellenism. So they believe that they were best and that what they believe was the best and they're trying to build an empire, like I was saying. Yeah. They didn't have trouble in planting Greek culture on the coast, but the further they went inland, the hill people there were not about it. They were clinging to their customs, their religions and their way of life. They're very old fashioned. So you can imagine, you know, some new modern people coming in trying to change all their ways. And they're like, we've been doing this for, the longest of time, we don't want to change. We don't find a need to change or yeah. become like you. Okay, that's a little bit of location. Let's move on to environment. It does play a key factor knowing these things. So try to stay with us in these backgrounds and you'll see how, how it all comes together. I know in school, history was not my thing. So I can feel you if it's hard to, but track with us. Um, environment. It's a volcanic region known as the burnt land. There was a lot of volcanic lava and the soil was really ground up because of this volcanic lava. This made it very fertile, especially for vines. So vines grow very easily in ground up soil in volcanic areas. And not surprisingly, the god of this town was Dionysus. Dionysus? Dionysius. Dionysius. Okay, I was like, oh, not the best at pronouncing names. Dionysius. She or this god was the god of great harvest, winemaking, and wine. Um, the god of fertility, ritual madness, religious ecstasy, festivity, and theater. So, kind of all over the place there. Um, <laughs> 
it was a dangerous place to live. You didn't know when there was going to be another earthquake. Um, so the people of Philadelphia had to run out of the city to escape the falling buildings quite often and without knowing when it was going to happen. Um, they would have to rebuild, obviously, if all their buildings are <laughs> falling down because of the earthquakes, then all right, we got to rebuild our, our, our city yet again. Um, so knowing that they were always going out, the sense of going out of the city. Um, this is why Jesus in the letter said to them, you will go out no more. This meant fleeing for your life. So, you know, this meant something directly to them, which is what Savannah was talking about, about the direct um, association, what Jesus was saying specifically for them at their time. It applied to them right then. You won't have yep. to go out anymore. Yep. That's like, that would be so comforting. <laughs> You're constantly having to leave. Um, this also meant being the, the type of environment it, that it was, is there's a lot of hot health springs nearby. So you get the strange mix of being a super dangerous place to live, but then you have like fertility, prosperity, and health. It's very like conflicting. Um, they constantly, like I said, had to rebuild because of the earthquakes. But interestingly enough, in this letter, it's full of doors, keys, pillars, and opportunity. So it makes sense to them. I just love that, how Jesus talks directly to them. Like, what are you saying to us now, Jesus? We can pray the same thing. What are you saying to us? And he'll answer directly to our needs for right now. Like, oh, yep. that's so good. Gives me chills. Yep. Couple more things about the background. There were many gods. So they had so many gods and temples that on one hilltop, they called it Little Athens. They had model Parthenons. So the Greeks really had established an outpost of Athens, their capital city in Greece, in Philadelphia. Yep. The last thing, there were many, many name changes. We find out in the letter Jesus writes to Philadelphia that he's going to give them a new name three new names to be exact. And the city had already had three new names, which we'll learn about very soon. <laughs> All right, Savannah. Very good. Thank you for the history. I think it's, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to learn history about places because, especially places that are in the Bible, because yeah. you learn about that they were living, there's, they're still standing. It's still a city, an active city. And you learn that this isn't just something you learn about in Sunday school. This isn't just something that is like passed down to generations, like through an oral, like, like storytelling, um, kind of tradition, but it's actual real history. And it yeah. means so much more in that way to me. So then it's easier for me to be like, okay, these letters are not up in the air, they were like down on the ground, like it's actual tangible. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna get into the first um, element of the letter. And so we're gonna talk about the name of the church. So Philadelphia. Um, so that's, again, he mentions the name Philadelphia in verse seven. And it's really, really simple. I love how simple it is, is literally um, the definition of it is friendly city, friendly fellowship, a loyal and reliable friend. Another way you can put that is small and, but significant um, love of the brethren. 
So that is the name. So when you are talking about Philadelphia, when Jesus is calling them to the letter of Philadelphia, he's saying, my friendly fellowship, my loyal and reliable friends. Like he's like putting this wonderful label of intimacy. Like yeah. they are not acquaintances. Like they are like the, the place that he feels the love of the brethren. I just think that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. names have so much power. Words have so much power. And so to know kind of like the gift that's underneath of that is really helpful when you're looking at the letter itself. So think yeah. about that as we're going through the rest of this, like Philadelphia is friendly fellowship, the loyal and reliable friend. One other yeah. way you could think about it, um, is a loyal and reliable ambassador, someone who is representing Jesus well someone who is standing in his place on his behalf. That's a mm -hmm. huge responsibility. And yet he says, I can rely on you. That's beautiful. All right. So yeah. move on. Um, Chelsea mentioned that the name of the city actually had been changed several times leading up to that. It first started as Philadelphia and then they had to keep changing their name and they had to keep changing their address. So um, it was originally called Philadelphia because the founder was a man called Adelus Philadelphia II, King of Pergamon. So of course, when you found a city, you just name it after yourself, obviously, <laughs> like, because you're important. So it was like, this is my city. Um, and then he had a brother um, that he loved so dearly called Emonese. Is that how you say it, Chelsea? Yeah. Yeah. So he named it Philadelphia. And again, brotherly love, brotherly affection. Um, and everybody knew that this king loved his brother. So like the, yeah. the association of Philadelphia and brotherly love became so synonymous um, based off of that example, which is actually kind of cool like, yeah. if you think about it. Like my name could yeah. potentially become linked with the idea of brotherly love. That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. and then it changed. So the, the next time that the name changed, it became Neo Caesarea in honor of the new Roman emperor Caesar during his reign. So again, once you come into power, I'm going to name the city after me now. That just kind of happens. Like it's almost like a symbol of authority. Yeah. Um, again, kind of interesting because Jesus says, I'm going to give them my name, which is almost like saying, I'm going to put my authority back on them. Yeah. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I just think that's interesting. Um, so Neo Caesarea literally means new Caesar. And then the name changed again after the next emperor, Ves Vespasian, after his family surname. And they called it Flavia. Um, and Flavia is actually, I think, um, his mother's name. Um, we learn about her in art history. Women nice. History. I know. I, I don't like, know. Oh, I don't know, you that. know this. Yeah. <laughs> well, in art history, every time there was a new emperor, they destroyed all the past emperor's art and then created their own art. So it's very interesting. The whole conquering thing. Um, and then finally, they changed it again back to Philadelphia. Um, so they've had a few identity crises in their time of what are we called? But they came back to be called the, the city of brotherly love. And interesting fact, if you actually go to modern day Turkey now, Philadelphia is still um, standing and it's now called this, the, it's, it's now called Allah Shehu, which um, translates to city of God. It's kind of interesting. Um, 
So that's the name of Philadelphia. Next, we're going to talk about the number two uh, element, which is the title of Christ. Um, and I'm just going to read that title for you guys again, because it's really important to think about what we're, we're listening to. Um, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. He, and that's who he's talking about himself, Jesus. So it's Jesus who is holy, Jesus who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So first, Jesus is talking about what he is, who he is. And then he talks about what he does. So you can kind of break this verse up into like those two sections to figure out this whole title, um, this all-encompassing title. Um, first of all, he says, I am holy, and then I am true. So why would he say that he is holy and true? Um, it's a very interesting kind of duo, but essentially he's describing his character. Like, who do you want, what can you expect from him? He's setting the expectation. It's like if I went to Chelsea and said, Chelsea, I am someone who values good quality one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'm also someone who really enjoys just going out and sitting on the ocean. Like she's already, she knows what to expect from me when I say that off the get-go. So that's kind of what Jesus is saying too, is this is what you can expect from me, holiness and truth, which I think is wonderful. He's setting again the expectation. Yeah. Um, and there's so many Bible verses, again, talking about God's holiness. I want you guys to write these verses down and look them up on your own, because we could be here all night if I read them all. Um, <laughs> but, hmm? I was laughing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so Revelation 6, verse 20, talks about his holiness. Leviticus eleven forty-four. Leviticus 21, 8 and then Isaiah 57:15 All of those Bible verses talk about holiness. Um, and my personal example I wanted to use is the example of the throne room. So he's being called holy in the throne room. So if you think about the song of the seraphim, which are those angels that all they do day and night, night and day is just cry, holy, 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 holy. Um, one thing I found super interesting, you can find the Bible verses talking about seraphim in Isaiah 6, 3, and Ezekiel 10, portions of the throne room. But why three times? And um, Chuck Missler gave me a wonderful tidbit. And he says he's holy. They say holy three times because Jesus was holy at birth, holy at his death, and holy in the present. So it's just beautiful to think about that 24 wow. seven. there's the seraphim angels crying, holy were you at the beginning, holy were you at your death, and holy are you in the present right now. And they just say that over and over again. It's beautiful. Uh, we could end right there. And that's all yeah. we need to talk about. Seriously. Um, yeah. So moving on. And in the Greek word true, there's a comparison between the Greek word true and real. So when, when you see the Greek word, Greek word true, it actually means real. So again, he's saying, I'm the real thing. I am not fake. I am not going, I am not, this is my own personal interpretation. I'm not like those other gods that you're familiar with, that 
there are so many of them, but there's nothing behind them. I am the real, the real God, the real Holy One, the real true one. Because, and they're interchangeable. He's saying, I'm the truth and I am real. Is beautiful. And truth is what corresponds to reality. So if a thing is true, it's real. You don't have to guess. You don't have to, I guess it's true. So truth and reality are the same thing. So he's saying, I am the way, the truth, which is real, and the life. Like what it says in John 14, 16. So then Chelsea is going to take it over. Okay. (laughs) That's so dramatic. (laughs) Okay. We're going to move on to what Jesus says he does. So we know who he is, and now we're going to talk about what he does. So I'm just going to give a synopsis of Isaiah 22, 15 through 23. Please take the time and go read through that if you want to do it in detail. I'll say it again slowly. Isaiah 22, 15 through 23. So you can go read that. I'll give a quick synopsis. So it's the story of a steward who had the keys to David's palace. Therefore, he had the most power to open rooms, to let people in and out, etc. Um, it was a place of authority. If you've got keys, oof, you got a lot. You're holding in your hand. You can you can say who can come in and out. That's a big deal. A pa- of a palace, David's palace. Um, he was the second king. Sorry, he was second to the king in authority. And Shebna became big-headed. So Shebna was the guy who had the keys. He thought he was even more important than the king. He started building a stone tomb to himself, like a royal tomb. And, you know, he's probably thinking to himself, after all, I've got the keys of David. I'm somebody here. God deliberately kicked that man out of the country, and he died somewhere else. It doesn't even say, just somewhere else. That's pretty terrible. (laughs) We're not even going to, like, record where you died. Oof. Okay. In his place is Eliakim. Eliakim. I keep pronouncing that wrong. Eliakim. Eliakim. What a guy. In his place was Eliakim, a man who was humble, reliable, and trustworthy. All the ways that Jesus describes himself. He got the keys to the palace. And what he could open, no man could shut. And what he could, what he shut, no man could open. Jesus in his letter is the fulfillment of that man, Eliakim. Did I say that right? Eliakim. 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 With all the world's rulers who strut around and make big tunes for themselves, Jesus here is saying that he is humble and trustworthy. One who now has the keys of authority to the king's palace. The king, like capital king's palace, to God's palace. So it's just cool to see that Jesus here is Eliakim, the fulfillment of that. Um, I got it that last time. Um, That's so great. Like a ruler and a king that we can follow who's humble, who is trustworthy. Not that he's done. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong, but he's still that humble person that we can trust him. We can trust him if we want a door open. Okay. We can pray for that, but if it's really not in his will or timing, he's not going to open it. And thank goodness that we can trust him with the doors that he does open and the doors that he closes. So mm-hmm. a little bit of who he is, humble, trustworthy, reliable in what he does with that. Okay. 
sweet. So that was what he does. He's the doorkeeper. Yeah. Um, and we're going to move on to point number three, which is the commendation. So this is Jesus spending time saying, here are what you are doing well. And imagine, again, being the church, listening to this for the first time and being like, I hope there is only good things said about me because they just listen to Sardis getting blasted of like, you are dead. Um, so, <laughs> and Jesus had so many good things about, uh, so many good things to say about them. Actually, if you count them, there's seven good things that he says and commendations. So again, if you know God and you know the number seven and his seven is the number of completion and it's no coincidence when you find anything of seven in the Bible at all. It's just God saying, Psh, complete, done, solidified. So I'm just going to read um, verses 8 through 10 again because that's this section here. So it's fresh in our minds. Um, 8 through 10, let me grab my Bible. Uh, I know your works. So again, he's, he knows what we have done <laughs> and what we haven't done. So there's no hiding anything of that. Uh, Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it, for you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which they which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my patience. I also will keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So a few interesting, few interesting things to note here. Um, he's kind of giving a way more comprehensive overview of the commendation. He's not only just talking about, I know your works, I see what you're doing, but he's also making promises within this beforehand because he's blessing their obedience. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. And so because of that, here's what I'm going to do for you. Um, it's beautiful. And so what do you see provided for the church? Um, Chelsea and I were talking about this, and she noted that um, you see a lot of, in this, in this chapter specifically, there's increase, influence, and immunity specifically given to Philadelphia, specific to them. So that's, yeah. again, him pointing and saying, I see you, small church. Yeah. I see you, Philadelphia, and I know your works, and here's what you can expect from me. Him yeah. who is holy and is true. Beautiful. Um, so, again, I want to talk about him saying, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. How beautiful is that promise that he's the one who's going before us opening doors? Yeah. Um, that you may think you can't do much, but Jesus has created opportunities for you. But I will note that sometimes we're trying too hard to break down a specific door that's closed. And we're not even seeing the door that he has opened right next door if we had just paused and not tried to do it ourselves. Um, yep. <laughs> sometimes the door that is open is different than what you think the door should be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's any less of a good door. All right. I'm I'm shot that analogy into the ground <laughs> we're gonna go on to well um da, 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 da. there's a lot of doors in the bible so like this this type of comparison is not something new and so if you're looking for like open doors like 
there's doors that God has opened up for us, like opportunities to go into prisons and ministry, opportunities to like love people at the grocery store. I'm all about small opportunities in your everyday life. They don't have to be the big, like life-changing opportunities. There's opportunities in every conversation that you have. Is yeah. God giving you an open door? Or has he done something, a beautiful work where it's like a bigger door? Um, yeah. You know, that's jobs. That's just conversations. That's with your family. That's with your health. Like that's with a lot of things. Another door you'll see in the Bible a lot is the door of deliverance. Um, that's a big deal. If you want to look that up, you can read John 10. He talks about the door of deliverance. Um, again, that is only a door that can be opened by God and Jesus. There's a big thing to note that these are not doors that we open up ourselves. These are doors that he presents to us that are open, that no man can shut, but it's not. These are doors that Savannah can only open and no man can shut. Um, <laughs> big difference there. Another door, yeah. more more literal, is that was closed by God was Noah's Ark. The door was shut by God and God alone to seal it off at the time that it needed to be. Super interesting. He's the one that shut that door specifically, knew exactly what time to shut it so that he could save humanity and help set them up um, yeah. for the promise after the flood. You can see that in Genesis 7, verse 16, if you're so inclined to read through it. And then if you go to uh, Matthew 28, there's a specific door at the wedding. Um, and that, please go read that. It is beautiful because it's really just alliterating to like celebration. The idea of celebration and marriage and unity with Jesus, our bridegroom. And that's all I can say about it because it's just beautiful. So those are like doors are a thing. God loves doors. Yeah. And he loves to open them and he loves to close the ones that are not good. Um, Another really cool commendation to note here is that you have not denied my name. This is so important. You have not denied my name in the opportunity that has been given to you to you need to. So this is praise for a loyal and steadfast ambassador. You have not denied me. You have not quenched your love for me. You have stayed true in the midst of other gods being glorified, in the midst of people not making sense of what you're doing because Jesus Christ was the new God to these Hellenistic idols, you know, the Hellenistic ideas. Um, You know, Jesus coming and dying on the cross, that was new to them. So it's like, you've got to go up against the older traditions but you're still being a loyal ambassador yeah and i think this is really important to think and ask yourself and pray about what type of ambassador are you this is like a personal application like think about it am i a loyal steadfast reliable ambassador for jesus for my king chuck missler said you know if we take on the name of the king which is what we do right we say that we're daughters and sons of the king. We better represent the king faithfully. Like there is not, uh, there is a, a sense of pride um, and urgency in that. How am I representing him? So yeah. I commend, I just like this week when you're having your personal devotional time, like ask yourself, am I a loyal ambassador? Will I withstand or will I buckle under pressure? 
think about it. I wasn't too excited about the answer I got when I first asked it for myself, <laughs> but it's like, okay, well, I have room to grow. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so Jesus is again, speaking to the church of Philadelphia specifically and saying, I am setting before you an open door. And if you take this opportunity, you're going to influence many. I'm going to provide you with more opportunities. Um, so that's that section. Then I know you guys probably were wondering about that little section of um, those who say that they are of the synagogue of Satan, right? You thought we were going to jump over that. No, we will read it. Um, it's of actually course, really interesting. You and I are going to hit that point. <laughs> we will not go over that. So mm-hmm. what is, well, who are these people? Who, who are they who are of the synagogue of Satan? Um, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Um, very interesting. Not wanting to be one of those people that God would say <laughs> is of the synagogue of Satan. Um, these people showed up earlier on these letters in the letter to Smyrna. Again, Chelsea and I taught on that. And you hear again, those who are of the synagogue of Satan. They're just really, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an intense way of saying uh, this could be an allusion to legalists. Those who live under the law and try to get other people under the law, the legalists, because Satan is one of condemnation and law brings condemnation. Jesus is one of conviction, which leads you to freedom. You see those two different paths. They normally have similar ways that they say to live your life, but the way that you view yourself, the way that you view life is very much influenced by if you believe it's conviction or condemnation. Um, So this is probably an allusion to those legalists who are just law, law, law. They just can't understand personal devotion. Um, Chuck Missler also has a personal viewpoint, and he says it's his personal understanding. So, again, figure it out for yourself. See where you fall. Um, That the people who are false Jews, those who say they are Jews but are not, could be people who are Gentiles, which is, you know, everybody who's not a Jew, who believe in this idea called replacement theology. And... A quick, quick synopsis of that, because we're not going to dive into it. Essentially, that is the belief in the idea that Israel no longer has a covenant with the Father, no longer has a covenant with God through Abraham, and uh, because of all of the things that they've done or what have you. And so the Gentiles will replace Israel as the ones who receive all of that promise. I tell you guys one thing. Key, if you don't remember anything else from this, remember this. God loves Israel, and he has never changed his mind on this subject. So you should treat Israel well always because you do not want to touch God's beloved. They are his, they are his people, and we are, we are his people too, but he has a very specific promise for, the, for Israel and is beautiful. So homework to understand that God has not changed his mind is just read Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 4. Please read it and know that the idea of what you'll hear them say, replacement theology, or reconstructionist is another term, 
but those are people who say that Israel is no longer going to receive any promise and they, they're not valid anymore, and that's not true. Um, I am done with that section. So that's who we're talking about there. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay, so we're still in the, the third part of what the letter, which is the commendation. Um, so there's three things that Savannah mentioned earlier that I wanted to note were influence, immunity, and increase. So, you know, Jesus is saying here, you have influence even over your enemies. So they're having a lot of trouble from the Jewish traders and the synagogue about exactly what Savannah was just talking about. Um, these people are trying to close this little church down. And Jesus says, I'm going to humiliate those people. I'm going yep. to bring them and they are going to fall at your feet and worship at your feet, knowing I love you. That, because the church at Philadelphia is devoted to God. They have, they have not denied his name. They're not doing dead works. They're, they're actually devoted their lives for him. Um, they will recognize that this is the church whom Jesus loves. Yep. They will see it, like physically. He says, they will come and worship at your feet. That's a promise. That's a, a promise of influence. They're making an influence over other people. Um, so, immunity. They were, small, they were small and couldn't take much persecution. <laughs> Jesus is saying, there's going to be a wave of trouble coming right through you, but I'm going to keep you from it. Note, this is only promised to the church in Philadelphia. Yep. The, not to us. <laughs> not to us. <laughs> We're not immune. <laughs> we got to keep living our lives and devotion and all that good stuff, which is another teaching for another time. Probably later on in Revelation. But yes, I just think that's so beautiful too, because it's a promise specifically for them. How good yeah. does it feel when someone promises something just to you because of your relationship? It's the same yeah. thing with this church. It's so intimate. You're my friend. Of course, I'm going to do this for you. Look at what you've done for me. So yep. Philadelphia can rest in the promise that they will experience freedom from tribulation of the seven-year period. This is private just to them. Again, doesn't apply to us. Um, ultimately, Jesus is saying Philadelphia <laughs> is my missionary town, not to spread Greek culture, but my good news. So he's, he's taking it over. He said, nope, you guys are my people. We're not spreading this Greek culture stuff, Hellenism anymore. We're going to spread the gospel. So, yep. And he knew that the church of Philadelphia would do it because they were obedient, which we'll get into a little bit down the line. So, Yep. All right. Cool. So we're moving on. Promise we're, we're going to keep going through this. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you're finding this interesting because we get really excited about this. Um, yeah. Next, number four is concerns. That's super easy. There's none listed. <laughs> There's no concerns. Jesus has absolutely nothing negative to say, nothing to work on for them. He's just like, doesn't even bring it up. He just moves on to the next thing, exhortation. <laughs> but I just want to note, like, that's really cool. Like, as a church, you could have, Jesus write something about you and have literally no concerns. Yeah. Pretty cool. So 
The other um, thing to note is the other church that hasn't had any concerns listed about it as well was Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. So, guys, read the letter to Smyrna. Learn about God's heart for the persecuted church. It's beautiful. Um, Absolutely beautiful. He had those concerns for them either, which is amazing. So we're just going to move on to exhortation, which is verse 11. So his encouragement to the church of Philadelphia. Um, He says, behold, I come quickly. That's good news. (laughs) He's on his way. Um, He's en route. Uh, Hold fast that which you have, that none may take your crown. Super, super short, sweet, to the point. I love it. Like, done. Like, I can hold on to this exhortation. Um, So, again, you see a comparison of that none may take your crown. So, if you remember, we talked about crowns, actually, a little bit to the letter of the Church of Smyrna as well. So, again, the persecuted church gets awarded the crown of life. So, again, that's his promise. Your, Your life is being taken but I'm giving you a crown of everlasting eternal life. So we see that same crown being awarded here to Philadelphia because of their obedience. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, But then what is a crown? Like what, what is a crown of life? What is a crown? So in, in earthly, in earthly constructs, a crown is one of like recognition and condemnation. A lot of it all the time of like, I have done well. I think of, um, the Olympics, like you used to get the, the wreath crowns. So that's what they're used to is like, it's your crowning achievement is a, a phrase we hear a lot of the time. Like this is your crown. This is your statement. Um, and so Jesus is saying, you have received your crowning achievement. I have given it to you already. Yeah. Because how can someone take something off of you if you didn't have it? It doesn't work like that. That logic is not sound. Um, So you have already received this crown, this promise, and now your work is to let no man take it. So something super interesting um, that I really, really like looking into is the idea of letting someone rob you of your firstborn privileges, which is that crown, like the crown of eternal life, your firstborn privileges. In the Bible, there are countless opportunities and examples of firstborns losing their birthright because of making the wrong decision. So we have Esau who sold his birthright to, was it Jacob? Jacob? To Jacob for a bowl of soup. Not a great transaction, but he did it anyway and he paid the penalty. Reuben lost uh, his birthright um, when he sold his younger brother to slavery. Um, not again, not a really good decision either. Uh, but then we have Moses again, he did so well leading everybody, but then because of a decision he made with his sister, he didn't get to see the promised land. So he was robbed of seeing the promised land. And then we have King Saul was given this, the king, the first king, kingship of Israel, but it was robbed of him because of his continual disobedience and not listening to the father not listening to God. So again, your crown can be taken away from you. So the question is, are you going to let someone take it? Are you going to take it off yourself either? Um, But no, it says to hold fast that which you have, 
the promise that you already have that none may take your crown because I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. So keep on, hold tight. So he's pretty much saying there, don't change anything. Don't do anything new. Hold on, nothing new. Hang on to what you have and keep what you are doing because you're doing well. Yeah. That's so yeah. good. Ugh. Okay. So Jesus, Jesus told them to hold on to what you have, similar to Sardis, but here they are holding on to each other in small numbers too. So hold on to your crown. Hold on to one another. Um, when Islam swept across Asia Minor, the last Christian bastion was Philadelphia. Alas, okay. tragically, they were betrayed by the church. They were holding on for a long time. Um, they were the last one to give in in the 14th century. This is when the Turks conquered Philadelphia, which is when they were betrayed. So, so today, um, Philadelphia is Istanbul a church that was jealous of Philadelphia. And today there is an Orthodox church in uh, Philadelphia with an Orthodox bishop. There are very few ruins in this town because they are buried under modernized buildings. Um, but there's one little place that still survives from the early centuries. And all you can find of it are the pillars of the church. This church of had Philadelphia. the help of Philadelphia, yes. Yep. This church had the healthiest history for centuries after this letter of all the seven churches. This one has lasted the longest. Um, small, but not insignificant. Uh, yeah, small, but very significant. So, yep. a church that was looked at as a failure, but Jesus said, this is one of my successes. Like, look how long they lasted. That's amazing. So if they held on, to their crown, they held on to one another. They just, they just kept holding on. They just, they took what Jesus said and they, they held on. So, yep. yeah, yep. It's it's very opposite of the Church of Sardis because they had large numbers, uh, a very very strong city, apparently impregnable, as Matt would say, which means they weren't supposed to be defeated ever. But because they believed themselves to be without any sort of weakness they were ransacked and overtaken again and again and again and yeah. it's literally power and name only but yet yeah. philadelphia which was small in number small in influence worked so hard and were so diligent and watchful that they lasted the longest out of all of the other churches which is beautiful so yep. yeah yeah all right it. moving on to the promise of the overcomer. We are almost there, guys. Thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> I love this part so much. Um, so I'm going to read verse 12 to review it again, and it's fresh in our minds. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. We talked about that. They don't have to go out anymore of the city. Mm -hmm. You're good. You can just stay put. <laughs> I will write one, him, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. I will write on him my new name. So he's saying here, you will be a pillar. Jesus promises that they will be a pillar in the temple of my God. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Like some people have thought in Revelation 21 that there's no new temple in the new Jerusalem. Yes, there is. 
If you read the next line, it says, for God and the lamb will be the temple, a personal temple, and you will be a pillar in that temple. Already in the New Testament, Peter, James, and John have been called pillars of the church. And we use the phrase sometimes like, she's a pillar of the church, which means someone who's always there, reliable, supportive. Mm -hmm. You can always depend on them. They're like a foundation of that church. Oh, we need, we need something done. I know Savannah will do it. Like she's reliable. She's a pillar of identity house. Um, so that's special. I mean, it, it means you're a permanent part of God. So, and then not only are they, the promises that you're a pillar, that you're, you're there, you're, you're a permanent part of me, but then there's a promise of a new name. As we said, their names kept changing so many times. Like this is specific to them. Um, a name that Jesus himself will give that's special. And it, it just means something so cool. Like a new yeah. name, a new name of Jesus that we've never heard of before. He already has like, I think it's 230 names in the Bible, 250. Like he's going to have another one. And then he's going to put that name on them. He goes, you're part of my people. I'm going to give you a new name, a permanent name. So they're yeah. a permanent part of God. And then they're a permanent they get a permanent identity because of that. Yep. So oh, yeah. I love that part so much. Just adds to the richness of their yes. reward. Yes. Um, something really interesting too to note for future study is um, in, in verse 11 or verse 12 specifically, um, Jesus says, my God, four times. Um, and he just says, you know, my God, my God my God, my God, that's interesting for him because normally Jesus says, Father. Yeah. Um, cool time is the only other time Jesus ever says, my God, is when he was actually hanging on the cross and dying. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he mm -hmm. says it in his beautiful heavenly language um, yeah. and stuff. But that's just a really interesting comparison. But that means that Jesus is not out here saying like, oh, like my God, we will like protect you. He's like yeah. here saying like, I'm with you and this is going to happen for you. So again, it's, it's because he's personally with us with this, um, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Look it up. It's interesting stuff. Um, so on to the closing and this is in every single letter. I know we made it to the closing. It's just so exciting. Um, <laughs> he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. If you have an ear, so all of us have hopefully two ears, hopefully, um, you need to pause, listen, and consider this. This is when it gets to that, like personal application like it applies to everyone. It's, this is where it's saying it's not just for Philadelphia. Anyone who has an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Church is plural, not just church of Philadelphia. Yeah. So what is this letter saying? We're supposed to consider these things. What can I take away from this? This actually does apply to me. I have an ear and speak. Jesus is speaking to his church and that's me. So like, yeah. again, this week when you're having your personal time with, with with devotion, ask him, okay, God, I have an ear. What are you speaking? Like, yeah. what, what, what from this letter applies to me? What am I supposed yeah. to take away from this? And so that is a great, great segue into, um, fin we finished the letter to the church. Woohoo! We did it. Um, but we're going to go about that four levels of application to end off real quick. Yeah. Um, 
and we're in that local level of understanding. So that's the first level. And that's the direct level that it has for each of the churches. And we thought it would just be nice since it's been a while since we've uh, talked about these letters, just to remind you guys what those those letters were for each church. So we started yeah. with Ephesus and their big, like the main point from their letter was you need to have devotion, not just doctrine. So you can't get yeah. caught up in, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, and then you don't actually have a relationship. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, Smyrna was just endure persecution. They were the persecuted church. They were the ones who were being slaughtered daily. Um, yeah. But you can endure because my promise is everlasting life. Um, Pergamus was, you need to stand against the world. Don't marry the world, please. Don't don't merge. Don't compromise. Yeah. Um, Thyatira is avoid paganism at all costs, please. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. It's oh. really easy for paganism to infect the churches. Super easy. I could go on about that, and I will not. I was um, wondering if you were. Chelsea knows. I'm going to hold my thoughts back this evening. Um, and then Sardis was, you need to be watchful and diligent because you failing to be watchful and diligent means you have been overtaken multiple times when you're not supposed to be overtaken. Yeah. Food for thought. And then Philadelphia yeah. is missionary outreach. Like, we're supposed to be the ambassadors of Jesus, the ambassadors of the king. Are we actually doing that? Mm -hmm. And are we actually being loyal, reliable ambassadors? What are we, what are we demonstrating? Um, so that's the local level of understanding. The next level is that this applies to all the churches, all churches ever, from beginning to end. So every church has element elements of each church that we read about in these letters. So take a look at your own. Like, I kid you not, like the leadership team, when we're going through these letters, we're like, okay, where does IDH stand on this? Like, what do we need to grow in? What are yeah. we doing good in? What are like, we are analyzing it. But then again, yeah. it's also helpful to look at past churches and be like, ah, oh, that's why that didn't make sense. That's okay. Now I know. Here's where we can move on. Angus yeah. is saying hello. Uh, and then the next level is personal application. I'm most passionate about this one because this is your like everyday data grind. How does this apply to me? Hello, buddy. I know I have been ignoring you. Um, so each church kind of gives you um, a warning. <laughs> He's got his butt on me. <laughs> um, so Ephesus. <laughs> The, the church at Ephesus, they neglected their personal devotional time. So for personal application, ha, you know, we, it's important to have doctrine and to know what you believe, but it's more important to have personal devotion and personal relationship because if you have just the law, you have not love. Yeah. Like, and that's just a horrible existence because you're living under condemnation. Smyrna is to not be afraid of satanic opposition, a.k.a. persecution. Not like it's going to happen because he doesn't want Jesus glorified. So why should you be afraid of it? It's going to happen. But you have the yeah. promise. Um, Pergamus is don't compromise spiritually. Again, super passionate about this one for myself. <laughs> we know when you read, when you read this, 
you know what you're not supposed to compromise on. So the hard part is not compromising. But the more that you read this, the more you know what you can compromise on and what you can't. Yeah. Um, and then Thyatira is pagan practices. Don't do them. That was my <laughs> assessment <laughs> of Thyatira. Um, Sardis, again, watchfulness and diligent. Be watchful. Be diligent. Guard your heart, your mind, your eyes, every, your spirit. So you are yeah. not overtaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and Philadelphia, again, let's be loyal ambassadors. We need to be loyal ambassadors. Again, we represent the king, the king of all kings. Have we been representing him well? Yeah. Would he write a letter like this and say that about us? I don't think he would say that about me yet, honestly. But I'm inspired to get to that point. Yeah. All right. And then Chelsea's going to talk about the last level of application, the prophetic timeline. Yes. All right, so each letter represents an era in church history. And this is the one where we were talking about how, like, you can either take this or leave it. Some people don't believe this, but that's okay. This is just, you can do your own research on it. Um, So the letter to the church at Ephesus was the apostolic church. So it's that time, if you look it up in church history, it was the apostolic church. Um, Smyrna was known as the persecuted church. So it's just hard to argue that it's not, I mean, for, I, I do believe that this is true because you see the timeline that it happens in. We don't have the exact years written up on this, but in history, it lines up exactly with the years. Um, Pergamus was the married church. That's what it was known as prophetically, uh, which is the state church union, um, the the state and the church being married. Um, and then after that, we had Thyatira, the medieval church. So the Catholic church, you can see how things started to spiral down <laughs> because of that with the church and the, and the state married. And then you got the Catholic church and then that's okay. Um, and then there's Sardis. So you have the reformed church, denominational church. Um, and then we already talked about the, a brief overview of Sardis um, and then Philadelphia, the missionary church, you know, Jesus wanted them to go out and spread the gospel instead of the Greek culture. So yeah, that's the prophetic timeline application. <laughs> yep. So yeah. Cool. That's essentially all we have for you guys. We got through it. Um, I don't know if anybody's monitoring the video at all for comments, does anybody have any questions about any of this? I know we threw a lot of stuff at you guys. If you want a copy of our notes, um, yeah. reach out to me or Chelsea. We have all of the Bible verses we talked about, plus some more yeah. extras um, and stuff. So we're happy to share that with you guys if you want, want that. Um, but let's just see if, there are any questions? I feel like a lot of it's kind of cut and dry um, for the most part. So I'm not seeing anything. That's what I love about these anything? letters. It's very like, here's the historical background. Here's yeah. the environmental background. This is what they yeah. practiced in that land. This is what Jesus said to them. <laughs> I love it. Here's <laughs> your application for your own life. Yeah. Well, 
Da, da, da. If you have a question, you can always shoot it to us later as well. Yeah. Um, so you can comment on here. We'll respond. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Well, Chelsea, would you like to pray us out? And I think we're done. Yes, I'd love to. Dad, we love you so much, and we thank you um, for this word. We thank you, Jesus, for the letters that you've written and how they apply directly to um, the place, the churches that we've been learning about, but also that they can apply to us in our lives. Lord, I just pray that if anybody's feeling like their good works are going unseen, that this encourages people to keep doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. You're doing a great job. And, and Jesus sees your works. If no one else sees what you do and only he does, sometimes those are the best kind. So I ask, Lord, that you would help people to see, feel seen, that they would not let go of their crown, that they would not let go of their good works that they're doing and just stay true to what they know that um, you have called them to. I thank you, Lord, um, that each person can take something different and that it can just be a little nugget of uh, walk out and that we can apply it to our lives in simple ways. So thank you, Dad, so much. I just ask that you bless everybody that's listening um, yep. with your presence and that everyone has a good rest of their Saturday. We love you Yay. so much. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to keep in touch with you. Be blessed today, family.